we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts, the 20th chapter. I'm going to share a few verses with you today, a few thoughts today out of Acts 20. And I want to talk to you about our mission, our mission. What is the church's mission? I think a lot of times the church don't understand its true purpose or its true mission, and that's why it gets lost in religion, it gets lost in ritual, it gets lost in spinning its wheels and going in circles and, and, and lacks destiny and purpose because we don't really understand our mission. And part of the desire of going through the book of Acts, and that's what we've been doing, we took a break for Easter because the Lord had laid a, a different message on me for that particular Sunday, but we're jumping back on track with chapter 20 today because part of the reason and the purpose of going through the book of Acts is because we need to discover what the real nature and purpose of the church is, and there's no better place to look than in the book of Acts. I think there's a lot of great books that have been written on the purpose of the church, and um, there's a great book written, Purpose Driven Church. I thought that it had some great ideas in it, and I've read I've read a lot of authors on what the purpose of the church is, but the greatest book that will ever be t- uh, about the church and its purpose is the, is the Word of God. And all through the Bible, you can see the events from the Old Testament leading into what Jesus would do. I shared uh, in the early service, even in Egypt, we sing, you know, we sing that song, He Brought Me Out of Egypt. And a lot of times people's like, well, that's a great Bible story, but, but it was a, a, a type of what Jesus was going to do when he rescued us from sin and death, brought us out of slavery, and even when they went through the Red Sea is a type of the baptism that would take place after our redemption, after we were set free. And in other words, I'm, I'm bringing you out of Egypt, I'm going to send you into a new, a new land, a promised land. And so everything points to the mission and the purpose of the church. And the book of Acts was consumed with the mission and the purpose of the church, which was laid out by Jesus himself when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And he said, go to the world and reach them, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, um, I don't know how excited you are, but I, I had a young lady come to me and uh, after the first service, and she said, Pastor, I'm ready to be baptized. I've never been baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. And, and so uh, I think that deserves a little praise right there. Amen. We thank the Lord for that. And I would say to you, if you're here and you haven't been baptized, then you need to come talk to me because we're going to be doing that within the next couple of weeks, and, and uh, we're going to have another baptism. And uh, it would suit me fine to, to put that thing up and leave it up, amen, because it's being used every Sunday. That would be great. That would be great. I might just start preaching in it. How's that? I'll just move it in the middle. and So, I don't know. It gets too warm. We get, our heaters work real well on that thing. But if you're in Acts chapter 20, uh, just hold, your, hold that place and let's, let's kind of jump into this. Uh, what do we, as, uh, as we look around us today, see in our world? We see a broken world. We see a hurting world. We see a world in need of Jesus. There's, there's so much sickness, pain, and death. I mean, as a matter of fact, you can look at Matthew uh, or chapter 24 and you can kind of parallel the events of today with what Jesus said would be signs of his coming. And he said, when there are wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, uh, all these things point to what this great event of the return of Jesus. 
And so we live in a hurting world. There, if, if you stop, I guarantee you, each of you in this room could probably think of five people that are really hurting right now that need a touch from God in their life, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually in their life, or all three. There's some that I know that need a touch in all three of those areas of who they are. But we live in this world. The massive truth here in Acts 20 is that it gives hope. One of the mistakes of uh, uh, one of one of the things that makes a difference in this world is when the church is on track doing what it's called to do. But there's also uh, here presented a vision of the church and what it should look like in a world that is hurting. In other words, there's a there's an outline in chapter 20 of what the church should be, what the purpose of the church should be, and what we should be accomplishing in the world around us today. The church must be an encouraging community of risk-taking missionaries who gather together to worship the Lord and cling to the hope of His resurrection. I want to say that again. The church must be an encouraging community, that's what we're going to talk about today, of risk-taking missionaries. Um, That's what I see defined in chapter 20. That this wasn't just a community of believers, not just the people that gathered together, but they were a community that encouraged one another. Now, I want everybody to do something with me, even those of you that may be watching online today. If you got somebody next to you, you may just have your cat or dog, I don't know. But whatever you got next to you, I want everybody to take your right hand. If you got a right hand, I want you to kind of wave it at me a little bit. Come on, you're not shouting yet, but wave it at me a little bit. Now, I want you to reach out to the person next to you, and I want you to pat them on the shoulder and say, that a boy if it's a boy, or that a girl if it's a girl. Come on, just encourage them a little bit. Tell them, say, you look pretty good today. Not as good as me, but pretty good. Encourage them a little bit. How does it make you feel when you are encouraged? How does it make you feel when somebody roots for you? When somebody cheers you on? When somebody is a, you know, a fan of you? It makes you feel good. The church is supposed to be a community of encouragers. We are supposed to be a place where encouragement is found. But we're also supposed to be a place of risk takers, risk taking missionaries, people who are willing to put it on the line, who are willing that we are so consumed with the mission of Jesus, we're willing to suffer rejection if that's what it takes because we want to see people know the same hope and the same life that we have in Christ. I don't know about you, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, Joy does not mean giddy happiness. If you're around me, I will correct you every time somebody says, I've lost my joy. Uh, And uh, and so you've lost out. You have no hope in Jesus, and you're going to, you just decided hell's where you're going. No, I didn't say that, Pastor. Then you didn't lose your joy. Joy is something that is an understanding that God is with me no matter what I'm walking through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist would say, I will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they comfort me. What was he saying? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I may be walking through some shadows. I may be walking through some pain. I may be walking through some difficulty, but the joy of the Lord is still there because I know no matter what the outcome, God has got my back, God is with me, and God has not forsaken me. That is the joy of the Lord. Now, happiness can be a byproduct of joy. Amen? I've had myself come into a church service before where, I, you know, and I'm not talking about preaching, well, sometimes preaching, where I've been down because of what is going on in the world around me, and, and, but I have the joy of the Lord, which is an understanding that God is with me and that it's going to be okay one way or another, it's going to be okay. Well, what if you die? What if you have, uh, you know what, if I die, I go on to be with Jesus, that's what Paul would say, but if I keep on living every day of my life, I'm going to live in opposition to the 
kingdom of darkness. I'm going to fight tooth and toenail. I'm going to hold on to Jesus and he's going to get me through it. What are you saying? That is the joy of the Lord. But we must realize that as we take risk, there's going to be pain involved. When you take risk in missions, when, and when we think about missions, everybody's mind's going, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go, I don't want to go, uh, you know, I don't want to go to the jungles. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go there. I like it home. But you realize that sometimes Africa can be as close as somebody sitting next to us at work or at school. In other words, it might, they might as well be in Africa because we're not making an effort to reach them and they're within arm's reach. Sometimes it can be in our own living room. It can be in our own family kitchen table. That, that it seems the distance is so great that they'll never hear the message in the love of hope. And we're afraid if we share it, we're going to drive people away. Now, I know you're going to find it hard, but I've only made two mistakes in my life. Just kidding. I've made a little more than that. But one mistake that I've made in my life is that I allowed somebody to convince me not to share the hope of Jesus with someone in fear that they would be repelled or run away. They kept on me, you can't, you can't, you can't. And you know what? I will never make that mistake again in my life. Because I don't answer to that person. I answer to the Spirit of God. I answer to the Lord God Almighty. And I have to stand before God knowing that I obeyed Him and everything that He told me to do. So we must be risk takers. When we share Jesus, we take the risk as a missionary of Him. You're a, guess what? If you, how many high school students we have in this room kind of wave at me? I won't call you up here if you wave, okay? If you don't wave, I'm going to name names and places and times. Again, how many high school students we have in here? All right, I appreciate that. Some of y'all don't want to wave. I got you now. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. What are you saying, Pastor? Your mission fields your high school or your elementary school or your middle school. Are you risk takers for Jesus? Do we fight to fit in or do we fight to stand out? Do we want to fit in and just kind of undercover Christian, you know? I'll be a Christian on the weekends, but I'll try to blend in during the week. Your mission field is your school. How many workers we got in here? You work a job every day of the week. Wave your hand at me a little bit, okay? Guess what? You have a mission field. You have a place that God expects you to take some risk in. Now, I believe we need to be spirit-led in who we talk to. I believe we need to pray over who we're going to talk to. I don't, I'm not a fan of the cold knock. I'm not. Uh, as a matter of fact, anybody had somebody knock on their door and they want to share Jesus with them, and you're, you know, it's awkward, it's strange, and I know there has been some success of that, but guess what? Statistically speaking, about 90% of people will turn you away. Well, what about the 10%? Well, I want to reach 100%. So I would much rather us form relationships with people that we might share the gospel. But guess what? If you've got a close friend that does not know Jesus, and they've been your close friend for several years, and you still haven't had the conversation about Jesus, then somewhere along the line, you need to have the conversation. You need to talk to them about the Lord. I guess one thing I have been praying for over our church is this. God, give us a voice. God, let us find our voice that we might share of your love. I'm not talking about some pushy vacuum salesman type evangelism. Amen? I've never liked pushy. As a matter of fact, if I have a pushy salesman, I will probably walk away and not buy from them. I don't like pushy. Anybody else like, like, like somebody, you know, uh, if you put your foot in my door to try to sell me a vacuum cleaner, you might get a hurt toe. Amen. I don't like pushy. 
Neither do people like pushy people about Jesus. But somewhere along the line, we can begin to have conversations with people and we can begin to, how long has it been since we prayed for God to give us those conversations? For God to open those doors, we must be risk takers. We're going to get into this, just hold on. And then we must be also a people who gather together to worship the Lord and cling to the hope of his resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection, as I shared last week, changed everything. That's the big idea that we're going to break down in today's message. A community of encouragement. That's the first place we're going to look. Notice first of how in this chapter, first of all, Paul cares for those around him. He's about to leave for Ephesus. His work has been tough there. But he is taking time to encourage those young Christians first. In other words, he has nurtured them into knowing Jesus. He has seen them saved. He spent about three years here, and now he's getting ready to move on. But before he does, he encourages them. Why? Because the world had erupted in chaos. Riots had broken out in the street. The Bible says in the first verse, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and departed for Macedonia. In other words, he then works his way through Macedonia, a region just north of modern Greece, and he likely spends time in, in Philippi with the Philippian church and also in Thessalonica. And, and the others. In other words, he spends time, and the Bible says in verse 2, he offers to them much encouragement. Much encouragement. So the church must be a community of encouragement. Paul said, I'm not just going to tell you about Jesus. I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. How many of us like encouragement? We like somebody to encourage us on our journey. I don't care who you are. I, I, when I was a young preacher, I had a sermon, and some of you hadn't even seen these movies, but they were popular when I was a kid, but uh, Rambo First Blood, okay? And, and the second Rambo, and then the third one, I got angry. They insulted my intelligence. That's what my father-in-law used to say. Rambo defeated the entire Russian army. All we need is a Rambo, and we send him to the Ukraine. It's over for Russia. It's over. Rambo can do it. Okay. Well, Rambo was this one-man army who could defeat just about anybody. And so I thought it clever because when you're a young pastor you want, or young evangelist, you've got to have those clever sermon titles. And my sermon title was, There Are No Rambos in God's Army. Ha! <laughs> Does that help? All right. No Rambos in God's army. In other words, there are no people that can stand by themselves. We need each other, and a community means we've got to stick together, church, and accomplish something, but we've got to be a place to encourage one another. I have been in many churches in my lifetime. I've been in churches that were communities of encouragement, and then I have been in, in, in churches that, that festered a community or brought about a community of discouragement. In other words, that there was never good enough. It, was, it never quite measured up. It never was quite good enough. There was also a spirit with that discouragement came a spirit of criticism. There, you know, this one's not doing what they should do, and that one's not doing what they should do. And I think that's why Jesus said, if you're going to correct somebody, you've got to first get the log out of your eye before you get the speck out of theirs. You need to do a little self-examination and be humbled by the grace that you've received before you begin to correct someone else. What are you saying, Pastor? Let's cast off the spirit of discouragement and let's be a community where people leave here uplifted and encouraged and realize you can make it to heaven. You can make it through your trials. You can get through what you're facing with the help of Jesus. 
Let's be a community of encouragement. So Paul spent a lot of time encouraging these young saints, encouraging them that they could do what? Let's break down what he would say. This is, this is the breakdown. He told them, keep going, don't give up, and he, he is at work in you and cling to the gospel. Let's break that down. He, keep going. Some of us, we want to give up. Some of us, we want to throw our, our, the towel in sometimes and just give up. In other words, Paul would say to us today, keep going. Don't give up. Dig in and keep moving forward. You may only be gaining an inch at a time or a step at a time, but if you take a few, uh, enough steps, you're going to get to your destination. Keep going. Look at somebody beside you and say, keep going. Y'all didn't obey. Look at somebody and say, keep going. Keep going. The next thing he would tell them is don't give up. I think there's a lot of people need to hear this today. Don't give up on what you're praying about. Don't give up on what you're believing God for. Don't give up on the vision he's placed in your heart. Because there's a lot of people that God will speak into them hope and vision. And because it doesn't happen the same day, they want to give up. They want to throw their hands up. Do you realize there's a lot of people that are bitter towards God because they didn't get what they thought they should get right away? They're bitter. They're bitter. They're praying for somebody, and they're saying, oh, I want God to save them, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. Tina's mom and dad pastored a church, and there was a young lady. She hit the altar every service praying for her family, praying for them to get saved, praying for them to get saved, praying for them to get saved, and they finally get saved. And you know what? She gives up. Turns towards the world. You may be one more prayer away from seeing a breakthrough of what, about whatever you may be praying about. Don't give up. Look at somebody beside you and say, don't give up. Next thing he would tell them is, he is at work in you. He is at work in you. I want you to understand, I don't know what you've been through, I don't know what you've gone through, but I want you to realize today that God is at work in you. And the Bible says and declares, for he that has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is going to bring what he started to a completion. If you will not give up, if you will be determined, God is going to complete what he started. Now, Everybody in this room needs a t-shirt that says, I am a work in progress. Amen? Why? Because everybody, including the pastor, is a work in progress. How many of you polished a halo before you came here today? I didn't. How many, had, how many may have said, God help me before you got here today? <laughs> He is at work in you. Look at somebody beside you and say, he's not done with you. He's still working in your life. He's still working towards his completion of vision. Then the next thing that Paul would say to us is, cling to the gospel. Now that word gospel, when I was young, I didn't understand what it meant. I heard it all my life. It wasn't until later years I heard a definition of what it was, and it was what? The good news. How many of you have seen a little bad news this week? Wow, everybody's focused on good news all week long. How many's heard something bad this week? That's bad news, by the way. Doesn't have to be on Fox for it to be bad news. <laughs> Amen. The church must be people who possess good news. Good news. Amen. I've been to too many churches where the good news isn't preached. 
I've been to too many places where you leave there feeling worse than when you came in. What are you saying? I believe that there are times we feel bad, but we don't have to leave feeling bad. The reason we feel bad is because conviction comes on us, and the reason conviction comes on us is because God is wanting to correct something that is holding us back in our relationship with Him, and once that's under the blood, we should leave here with the joy of the Lord in our lives. You don't have to leave here feeling bad today. If you came in here feeling bad or you felt conviction in your life, well, I've just not lived up to it this week. I've not been the Christian I should have been this week. Well, there's good news for you. There is power in the blood of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. And he says, don't leave here feeling convicted. Leave here feeling free. Leave here feeling relieved that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. But he was also trying to do this not just through words but through deeds. Luke said the author of Acts doesn't tell us everything Paul is doing on this trip. However, we do know according to First and Second Corinthians that one of the things Paul was doing was collecting funds for the Jerusalem church who was in dire need. In other words, Paul was striving to collect a financial offering to carry back to this church that was in poverty in Jerusalem to show what? That these people that you thought were second class in God's eyes love you just the same. They love you without prejudice. And so he's saying to us, we're one body, and this part of the body who is Gentile is going to help out the church in Jerusalem who's Jewish. Paul wanted to strengthen the bonds of unity between the Gentiles and the church in Asia and Europe. He did this by asking the church in Asia and Europe to help out in a growing need so that unity might grow and diversity might be thrown out. In other words, he was saying to the Christian church in Jerusalem the same thing that he said to the church in Ephesus. Keep going. Don't give up. He's at work in you and cling to the gospel. He wants to encourage them. Paul, uh, Paul's always encouraging the church wherever he went, not just by his words, but also by his actions. I want to quote my father-in-law who preached in this church one of his last sermons, which was simply this. Love is an action word. We've got to begin to love not just through word, but also through our actions towards one another showing and demonstrating the love of Jesus it's a powerful thing how do I do that pastor how do I show my love for people instead of just saying I love you you show it by getting connected with them you show it by, by, by being involved in what's going on in their life when they come to you and they say will you pray for a need follow up on that need by saying hey a couple of days later how's this working out so far I'm praying for you. Amen? I'm still praying for you. The Lord wants us to be a church of encouragement. The Lord wants the same for us. This is a broken world. The church should be a place of healing and hope. A place of connection and community. A place of encouragement. We get attacked and hurt in this life. That's just part of it. People in our workplaces, our schools, and even on our streets can be brutal at times. We've got to learn to encourage one another. We've got to learn to build one another up and strengthen our relationships. Also, we've got to do this for our words, but also through our actions towards one another. 
One thing we talk, uh, that, that, that some talk about is, is the evidence that Jesus lives in our life. How do we show that evidence? It is through our actions. How can we help others see that, uh, that at times uh, they can simply, uh, they, that they simply can't go on, that they can? It is through us showing them through our words and actions. Make the phone call. Send the text message. Purchase the card and mail it. Whatever you need to do, encourage one another. Build one another up. Listen, look at somebody and see in them what they don't see in themselves. Amen? I want to thank God for people in my life, especially as a young teenager, that saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. They saw things in me that no one else could... I, I, I didn't see it. I can remember, many of you know that Bubba Carden, he's a mentor in my life, but Dr. Carden would, would pray over me. He would come do revivals. And in my day, when evangelists would come to town, they was the big shots. And I'll never forget, he'd get up and he would preach and he would share the Word of God. And I would go to an altar as a teenage boy and I would feel his hand on my shoulder and I would hear his prayers. God, you're raising up a man of courage. God, you're raising up a man of integrity. God, you've got big plans for Phil's life, bigger than he's ever dreamed. God, you've got high hopes for his life. God, I see in him a mighty man of God. We've got to start speaking words of encouragement into one another so that we can begin to see beyond the image that the devil has painted in our eyes of who we are. Some of us don't see ourselves as victorious. We see ourselves as a victim, but somewhere we've got to move beyond victim to victor, beyond those who are oppressed to those who have overcome, and we can do that by encouraging one another. Lift one another up. Now there's a commercial for one of the hospitals in Chattanooga and it's this one kid encouraging another. And Tina's about sick of that commercial. I, I do mean sick of it. You know, any of you might know the commercial I'm talking about. It's one kid talking to another saying, you're a champion. <laughs> you're a star. And you are. So the other day I found it on YouTube and I texted it to her on a Monday. <laughs> this is what your pastor's wife texts back. I'm about sick of you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Till death do us part. Amen. Amen. I was just trying to encourage her. You see what I live with? You see what I... <laughs> we need to encourage one another. Husbands, we need to encourage our wives that they mean as much to us today as they did when we were trying to get them to like us. Come on. That they're just as beautiful to us today, more beautiful to us today than they've ever been. Wives, you need to encourage your husbands that they are great. Right, Carrie? I have, a, I have Carrie on tape, or on video, saying Tony was great, and I love that. Amen. Tony the Great. Now, I'm joking around, but we need to encourage one another. Wives, we need to build each, our, our husbands up. Now, I'm, I'm going to preach a little bit to the family today. 
The last thing in the world, we got to quit discouraging our husbands, start making them the heroes that they should be, even when they're not living up to it, saying, I see in you somebody that can be great for God. I see in you the spiritual leader of our home. Husbands, we need to look at our wives and we need to encourage them and say, you are the, you are the anchor of our family. You are the beauty of our home. And we need to look at our kids and we need to encourage them beyond the ball field into the kingdom of God. We can encourage them to kick a ball or hit a baseball or a softball or a football carried down the field. Let's encourage them to be more than that. Because that day ends. Amen? That day will end. I know some of y'all said, not me. I'm going to the, I'm going to the next level. Okay. But do you realize in one moment that can end? I want my kids to be spiritual leaders, not followers, leaders. So I encourage them to be that. What are we encouraging each other to be? Amen? Are we building up or tearing down? Be a church of encouragement. Look at somebody and say, help me, Lord, to encourage somebody else. We have to be a band of risk-taking missionaries. It would be easy to make every sermon in Acts about perseverance through suffering. Read it. It would be easy for me to preach every Sunday about perseverance and suffering and overcoming perseverance, uh, persevering through suffering times. See, Paul struggled again here. It seemed like everywhere he went, trouble leaved him, would, would, would follow him. Chapter 19 ends with trouble, and chapter 20 begins with riots in the street. Everywhere Paul went, it seemed like trouble would come. Verse 1, he says, it says here that, that the uproar finally ceased. And yes, it does for a time, but it seems like it breaks right back out again and another uproar comes and Paul finds himself running for his life or having to sneak out of the city so he's not stoned to death or, or killed. Acts 20 verse 3 says, There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And what you don't understand about this is this was the long way around to Jerusalem because his destination was to go to Jerusalem. And he took the long way around to avoid the trouble that was coming after him. What are you saying? He was a risk-taking missionary. Why do we... Um, I admire Paul because Paul took the chances that, that nobody else would take. You see, Paul was out here on the road doing the work. He was sharing the gospel. The other disciples, to our knowledge, stayed in Jerusalem. Paul was taking risk to fulfill the Great Commission. Once he's in Greece, likely in the city of Corinth, some of the Jews plot against him. He doesn't get to stay there but about three months because then he's planning to sail to Syria and when they come, he takes the long way back to avoid getting killed. And there's no doubt more controversy along the road as he, that followed him as he went along the road. But notice Paul, where Paul is going to end up. He tries to, get, uh, tries to sail to Syria because he wants to get to Jerusalem. And, uh, and heading there is, is signing up for more suffering. When he gets to Jerusalem, he's just going to face more. 
He ends up heading, uh, heading that way despite his friend's warnings. Don't go there. There's going to be trouble there. There's going to be an arrest there. Luke 9.51, the same author of Acts says this, uh, writes this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus set his attention towards Jerusalem, knowing that in Jerusalem he was going to have some trouble, knowing they were going to try him, crucify him. He knew what waited for him in Jerusalem. Paul knew that in Jerusalem trouble was coming. Prophets had already told him, when you get there, they're going to bind you with chains. They're going to bind your hands and your feet. You're going to be turned over to the Gentiles. You're going to be judged. And what does Paul say? I'm going anyway. There is so many weak Christians that will not look towards the face of... We need to set our face towards Jerusalem, church. If we're going to win this county for Jesus, we've got to be willing to take some chances. We've got to be willing to look stupid or silly or foolish. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. There's going to be plenty of good times at church. Church is one of the places I laugh the most. I enjoy the house of the Lord and I enjoy my forever family. There's going to be good times. Living in community is amazing. Anybody believe that? Living in fellowship is, a, is, is, is amazing. So many joys, lots of laughs. There's encouragement in the family of God. But that's not the end of it. It's not the point of it. Where a community is faced outward, where we are, our mission is outward, that becomes our identity. There are too many churches that are faced inward. It's about them. It's about building up a social group that we can call, oh, here we are, our little social club. We meet a few times a week and we encourage one another, but we don't look out. One thing that I'm asked by a lot of pastors is, what is one of the steps to seeing your church turn around? What, what's one thing that helped Harvest turn around and start growing? It was when we quit looking at ourselves and started looking to the fields of Harvest and we began to take some chances. Come on, praise God over that. We began to take some risk. It's going to be some risk involved. It's going to be, it's going to, you're going to have to take chances to win souls for Jesus. We've got to be willing and be mission-minded in this last days. We cannot, we do not. Listen, the last thing Tatuga County needs or this world needs is another little Christian social club. If that's what it is, I'll resign today. I want to be a part of the living, breathing, mission-minded church of the living God who has its eyes faced outward, not inward. Amen. Outward, not inward. A mission community that worships. I want you to think about that. Acts 20, verses 7 through 16. On the first day of the week, we were gathered together breaking bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech that night. That meant he preached a long time. You think I preach long. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man, <laughs> Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank deep into sleep. As Paul was still, uh, talked still longer. All right, now people are falling asleep. I have joked before and said in the new church, we're putting in lazy boys. 
And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and talking, uh, taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for he, he, his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them long, a, long, a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the young man or the youth alive, <laughs> away and alive, and they were comforted. Not a little comforted. I like the way the Bible words that. But <laughs> your kid dies at church and they get resurrected and they were a little bit comforted. What happened at church Sunday? <laughs> well, my kid fell out of the third story window while the preacher was preaching. Fell asleep. Broke his neck. <laughs> it's okay because the preacher went down there and Jesus healed him. It was a good Sunday. It's a good Sunday. Do <laughs> you know anytime somebody gets saved in this church, that's the dead coming back to life? We ought to get excited about the resurrection. And anyway, and when they, went, he departed from them, they ate bread, they departed the young man, they took him away, and they were a little comforted. Verse 13 says, but going, going ahead to the ship, we sailed to Essos, and then taking Paul aboard there so that he arranged, intending himself to go by land. In other words, this is talking about the rest of his trip, and I'm going to skip that, because he was hastening to get to Jerusalem for the, the Feast of Pentecost. Paul wanted to be there because Pentecost meant it was a big deal to Paul. We find an interesting story here of a worship service that went long. On the first day of the week, verse 7 says, this means Sunday. You realize this is the first recorded gathering on a Sunday of the early church. Up until this point, they would show up at Saturday during uh, the regular uh, Jewish services and they would have discussions, but now they begin to meet on the first day of the week, which was a Sunday, and this is the first recording of that in the Scripture. They had been scattered, or scattered on a mission. They were now gathering to worship. And this is the point I want to leave us on. What is our mission? Our mission is wherever we're at when we're away from here. Wherever we're at when we're away from here, whether it is at our houses or whether it is at our schools or whether it is at our jobs, wherever we're at, that is our mission when we're away from here. Why do we gather here? Not to fulfill our mission, but to celebrate our mission. I want to say that again. Why do we gather here? Not to fulfill our mission. Do you realize your mission is not come to come to church? Your mission is not just to come to church. You, we've been taught that. I'm going to kind of correct that today. Your mission is not just to attend church. Your mission is not just to, to, to come to this house. Your mission is to go to this world, to have your eyes looking outward. And when you come in here and I come in here, we ought to be celebrating what God has done all week long, wherever we're at. Because I'm telling you, you're in a hurting world. And what would happen if the, the hundred plus that are in this service today would gather together here to celebrate what Jesus is doing and then take it to this world and say listen, God wants to do this in your life. When my wife and I pastored in Jessup, Georgia I worked a job and I'm going to close with this. I worked a job for Universal Electric and I, was, uh, I went and traveled to Riceboro, Georgia every day about a 30 45 minute commute and I would work and uh, when I went there, 
they were worried about the preacher coming on the job because it's a construction, electrical construction crew. And they didn't want me to, you know, upset the, uh, you know, the, the status quo. And so the foreman, they, get, they would always print out name tags and put them on the hard hats as they gave them out. While mine, they already had printed out and it was preach. And they did that to kind of give all the guys on the crew the heads up of who the new guy, because they hired about five of us, who the one, which one was the preacher. Well, you see, my approach to, to missions is simply this. I'm not going to go in there preaching. My job was to work and do what my employer hired me to do. However, as I told him, if I'm asked, I'll tell him about it. If I'm prompted of the Holy Spirit, I will open my mouth. But I'm going to do what you hired me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And I did. And I'll never forget as God began to make my workplace my mission. Didn't accomplish too much at the church. I'm just being honest with you. We didn't accomplish too much. It was, it was a dying church and, and just didn't do too much there. But in the three years I was there, the mission ended up being Riceville, Georgia. Working at Kimtall Chemical Plant. And I had a group of guys come to me and they said, Pastor, will you start a Bible study during our lunch break? And I said, well, let's get approval from the foreman if he's okay with it. He said, what you do on your lunch break is your business on your lunch break. He said, as long as the guys aren't feeling pressured, he said, that's fine. We would meet in one of the control rooms and I would share scripture and we would talk about it and we'd pray. We'd eat our lunch. Before long, some of the guys that were so resistant to me even being hired on the crew. They would come into that switchgear room and they would sit on the opposite side of some of the switchgear. They weren't in the room where they weren't with us, but they could still hear what was going on. Now, there was many switchgear rooms they could have had their lunch in, but they began to come there. I want to talk about missional. We would do our little thing there and we would leave. One of the other foremen came to me one day and he said, I need to tell you something. He said, I want to thank you because you've encouraged me. I'm a deacon at the Baptist church in my town. And he says, I've been too, much, I've been too quiet about my faith. And he said, and I want to be more vocal about my faith. So I said, that's great. I said, I'm praying for you. So one day we're pulling wire. And if you've ever pulled wire through a chemical plant, it's just a long day of doing this. I'm sitting in the third level of cable tray, and this deacon hollers up and says, Hey, preach. I said, Yes, sir. He said, I just wanted you to know I just led Reedy to Jesus. He was working, an apprentice he was working with. Years later, I would go back and I would find out after I left that the, the, the owner of the company, when I left, hired another preacher. He said, Well, we had to have somebody to pastor the crew. Well, the, the, the Bible study exploded when he came in. And, and all of a sudden it got so big that Kim Tall came to him and said, you can't have it here anymore because it's just it's too, too big. So the owner of the business bought a house across the road, an old abandoned house from the, uh, across the road from the plant and said, that's our lunch house. And it became a church house. 
What are you saying? Oh, why couldn't that have happened when you were there? No, some water, some plant, but God gives the increase. What are you saying, folks? I'm telling you, wherever you're at can become a mission for the Lord, and you can reach lives, and you can see change. We must become a church that is full of community and purpose and hope and reach this world around us. Reach this world around us. Will you stand? I don't care if you're in elementary school. I don't care if you're in middle school, high school. I don't care where you work. White collar, blue collar, no collar. Wherever you're at, you can be salt and light and make a difference in this world. But we must be a community of encouragement. We must be a community that has our eyes facing outward. We must be a place with mission in mind. What was the mission of the early church? To share Jesus. How will this world be evangelized? By everyday people in everyday places. Living Jesus. I am thankful for every soul that gets saved in this church. And I hope that continues. But I want you to think about this. Last Sunday, I think it was around 10, gave their heart to Jesus. What would happen if each person in this room, and I want you just to look around, reached one? I'm not telling you to reach 10, reach one. The kingdom of God would not grow, it would multiply. Reach one. We must be a church that understands our mission. Amen? So this is the simple simplicity of the altar call. Just the simplicity of it. If you need to get saved, it's always here. But I think that's what we define this for. And it's, that's a wrong definition. God's looking for people that will sign up to carry out the mission. And if that's you, there's room at the altar to come and talk to your God about it. It's more than just coming to me and saying, Pastor, I'm going to start doing that. No, it's coming here and telling your God, I want to be mission-minded. I want my eyes looking outward, not inward. Harvest, we will never be a social club as long as I'm the pastor. We will always keep our eyes pointed outward to the lost world around us. How many people do you know right now that need the joy of a family? The hope of connection. They feel all alone. And they need connection with God. How selfish if we keep it to ourselves. Let's offer it to them. Come be a part as we pursue heaven every day. Will you find a place to pray? If it's not in this altar, at your seat. But let's pray.
We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.